Hello, Connected Parents, and welcome to another episode of Connected Parenting. Today, I want to talk about social media. I've talked about it before on my podcast, but I get so many questions uh, from parents, so many emails, so many comments about this issue and how it's affecting kids and what to do about it. So I wanted to do a bit of a deeper dive into that in today's show. Hi, everyone. I'm Jennifer Colary. I'm a child and family therapist and a parenting coach and the founder of Connected Parenting. And welcome to the Connected Parenting Weekly Podcast. Join me every week and we'll tackle everything from temper tantrums to bedtime to sibling issues to teenage angst. Parenting can be so wonderful, but it can be so hard. Parents often say to me, hey, can you just come live at my house? This is the next best thing. Let's do this together. So we've learned a lot in the last few years. And I think we really, I think all of us sort of collectively truly understand that, first of all, social media is not going anywhere. If anything, it's going to be ramped up, more sophisticated, more detailed, more layered. So we really do have to help our kids navigate this part of the world, taking it away completely and not giving them the experience to practice within that world, I don't think is going to help them later on. But we really do have to make sure that we're setting proper limits and we understand what's going on in the brain with social media. So we know it's addictive. It's addictive. It's addictive for all of us. We're, we're adults are just as addicted as kids. So keep ourselves in mind as we listen to this. But with kids, especially when the teenage brain is in that state where it is so open and it's learning and it's developing and actually has different levels of serotonin and uh, reward receptors and all kinds of things, the teenage brain is very different from the adult brain. It's more susceptible to the impact and the negative impact of social media. So you know, look at your phone and kids are obsessed with their likes and how many comments they got and how many followers they have. And you know, did somebody answer me? And they're, you know, they write something and, you know, literally half a second later, they're looking at the phone to see if the person answered. If they didn't answer, what does that mean? Are they mad at me? Did I say something today that wasn't, that wasn't cool? Am I, are they mad? Are people going to start hating me? Like it, it actually takes off in this wildfire in the brain very, very quickly. So, you know, we have some idea of the impact that it's having. We know that it affects anxiety. We know that it affects depression, but let's kind of dive into what is happening in the brain. And, and truly like when, you know, kids are unfollowed or they get blocked or, you know, somebody reads their comment, but doesn't answer it or worse, doesn't read it at all. Or maybe it's worse to read it and not answer it. I don't know. One of them is worse. Um, ask your kids, they'll tell you. Um, and there's all these rules, like they'll, they'll get a Snapchat back, which is just the ceiling, which means I'm kind of ignoring you or I'm mad at you. And there's all these nuances and there's not facial expressions and there's not tone of voice that goes with any of this, um, unless it's just these quick little videos that they're sending back and forth, which are disjointed and there's not a real thread to it. And there's no time in between to really think about what's happening. It is quite a complex and nuanced situation that kids are facing today. And it can be really, really traumatic. And if we think about it, it, we know it's addictive and yet there's no restrictions or very few restrictions. Um, parents try, but for the most part, there really isn't even with our younger kids. And if we think about it, there's age restrictions on alcohol, on smoking, on what movies you can are allowed to get into at a certain age. There are all kinds of age restrictions for addictive substances, gambling, casinos, 
but very, very limited when it comes to social media. Other than the parents that are trying, it is really, really tough. So in order to really understand the depth of this, I would have to dive into dopamine. And dopamine is a chemical that is actually designed to reward you for doing something kind of hard or really important or something that nature wants you to keep coming back and doing. So that's where you'll get a great dopamine reward for building something or sticking to a task that you can enjoy, you know, the fruits of later or, you know, fishing, you sit there for hours, you catch a fish and you get this massive boost of, of dopamine, which overrides the fact that the task was hard or boring um, or long. And you get this dopamine hit that pretty much ensures that you're going to come back next time for more. But social media and video games and, you know, these little shorts that people are watching now that are literally like seconds long, 30 seconds, I think, are these quick and constant hits of dopamine for doing very little, for not waiting very long and for not having to uh, put very much action or energy into it. So we're really kind of flipping upside down the whole dopamine system in the brain. Also, dopamine's main role is to be released anytime you achieve a milestone, right? Or think you're on the right track to achieving something. And this kind of gets turned upside down when we think about the nature of social media or video games. So we now have an entire generation of kids for years now who are pretty much addicted and adults are too. They're using it to regulate. They're using it to distract. They're using it Let's start saying we, because it's we too. We use it to numb our feelings. Um, and over time, especially with kids and teenagers, where the brain is really kind of rapidly growing and expanding and making connections, we're creating a brain that is hardwired to go to your phone or your video game instead of to a person for support or for help. It's obviously much easier when your kids are little, when they're tiny, you can put the iPad away, right? When they're little, you can really control how much access they have to their devices. And when they're younger teenagers, it's also easier. They can hand their phones in uh, half an hour, an hour before their bedtime. It's really important that kids aren't staring at a blue screen within an hour of bedtime because that really interferes with sleep, with melatonin production and with sleep patterns. Um, but it's easier to do when they're younger teens too. When they start getting older, when they start getting into kind of mid-high school, it's not appropriate anymore to be looking over their shoulder and reading their responses and taking things away because they've got a couple of years really to try to figure this out on their own to integrate this incredible desire for connection or the connection that they feel they're getting through their cell phones Um you know, enjoy and pleasure and all of that um, with doing other things that are hard. They have no choice. They have got to find a way to integrate this and moderate this. The other complicating factor is that when kids are little, they seek their parents' approval. It's mommy and daddy that they want to impress or grandma and grandpa. When kids get older, it's primarily, I mean, they want to please their parents, obviously, but it, it becomes equal, if not more important for them to please their peers. And this is one of the reasons why the constant looking at the phone and did this person like this? And, you know, did this person respond to this person answer me is so um, 
tied into their sense of self, to their, their sense of connection to their peers, to their worth. Um, and this is where it can get really, really dangerous. The other thing I think that's so important here is that it's all at lightning speed. So if we think about it, when we were kids, we didn't have phones. I mean, I remember pay phones and you had to go home and talk on the phone. And if your sister was on it, you had to wait two hours and you'd get in a big fight over whose turn it was. Um, but there were no cell phones. So you'd you know, get in an argument with somebody grade eight and you'd you know have a big thing and then you'd stomp to the bus stop and then you'd wait at the bus stop for the bus and then you'd sit on the bus. And by the time you're halfway through your bus trip, because we got ourselves places when we were at that age, um, we had time to reflect. So the first part of that bus ride was, I can't believe they did that. And I should have said this and I should have said this. And then the second half of the bike ride, as the fight or flight mechanism calms down, as the frontal lobe comes back on and the midbrain kind of settles down, what ends up happening? You start thinking, ooh, why did I say that? Ugh, I probably shouldn't say that. Ugh, I should probably apologize for this. And by the time you get home and you've had to wait half an hour for your sister or your brother to get off the phone, by the time all of those steps have been laid out in front of you, you're calm. You're in a different place. You have some perspective. And now you call your friend and you make up. That is not how it works now. They are flying through these conversations back and forth in like milliseconds, answering each other, firing back at each other, and then regretting later with tremendous levels of anxiety, what they said or didn't say. The other kind of complicating factor is they're often not talking just to that person. They're literally talking to their friends too, either in the moment, the friend is answering while their friend is over their shoulder, egging them on, or they're in a large group, or they're taking screenshots and sending it later. So they're not having an argument with one person. They're having an argument with multiple people. This spreads way out way farther than it would at school. If you got in an argument with somebody and then they tell a friend and tell a friend, this, these are screenshots that are being passed out. These are live interactions that are happening with multiple people. And sometimes it's the parent. The parent is actually on the other end, helping the child figure out what to say and not say. So it's incredibly nuanced and incredibly complicated and really hard to sort out. And now after a fraught interaction like that, they're upset, they're distracted, they can't do their schoolwork, or they're reacting disproportionately to their siblings or to you. And it's just a big mess. So what to do about it? So I think the first major suggestion that I have, and part of it is how you sell this to your kid. And I would suggest doing this first, do this by yourself first. Um, so you can feel it. You can feel the benefits of it. You can feel the difference that it makes. And you can feel how hard it is and what you're actually asking your teenager to do when you're laying this out. And, and by the way, multiply it by 100 because this is much harder for a teenager to do and to buy into. But the idea is to take a dopamine fast. And as long a one as you can possibly take, I mean, if you need your phone for practical things and no work, that's fine. But really try to stay off all the YouTube stuff, all the scrolling, all the TikTok, all, just, just put it all away. Just stop. Take it off your phone. Take those apps off your phone. Just cut it out completely from your life for a week. Actually, 30 days would be absolutely spectacular. Um, and here's what happens. Your, your overall mood improves. Your concentration improves. Your, your agitation goes down. Anxiety goes down. 
feeling depressed or or down or flat, uh, it you know goes away or goes down. Um, frustration levels also go down. Real life things become more interesting. Colors seem a little brighter. You feel a little lighter. The change is actually quite extraordinary. So I would suggest either a week, two weeks, up to 30 days, try to eliminate social media from your own life. Make a journal, pay attention to it, see how you feel. Then when you've gathered your own evidence and you've gathered your own kind of experience, now it's time to maybe put it to your team. So what you do is you start by having the conversation about dopamine, that dopamine is intended you know, to reward you for doing something really boring. And when you get dopamine all the time for doing nothing, it makes real life flat, upsetting, dull, uninteresting, stressful, and anxiety provoking. And they won't necessarily believe you at first to so try to do this in little sound bites, or maybe you can find little clips of people that you might think you know are cool talking about it, but try to get that information to them and see if you can suggest a family detox or even like one day or two days and just see how they feel. I've actually had a lot of families who've done this. Their teenagers have decided to do it. They've gone off video games. They've gone off social media and, and some of them are quite young too. Some of them are in grade seven and grade eight, and they're so articulate. They're just able to say, I can't believe how much more fun life is without video games. Like, you know, being outside is more fun. Being with my friends is more fun. I'm having, I'm finding more things to do. I'm, I'm getting back into reading again, or I'm, you know, kicking the ball outside. And I was having a conversation with my son, Jacob, who's actually the editor and producer of this podcast. So he always gets a kick out of it when I talk about him, but we were talking about, I didn't know this, but there's a, a term called touch grass. And these are for like, it's for people who just like are inside so much on their video games, streaming or just playing games and trying to beat all these levels and get better and better that they literally haven't touched grass in months or weeks. So try to find a way with humor to kind of put it out there and maybe have it as a family challenge. See if you can do it long enough or get them to buy in long enough and don't get into consequencing and whatever. Put, out, put it out there. If they don't want to do it, maybe they'll swing back to it in a couple of months. So the next thing you can try, you know, you can do that. If they don't go for the fasting, then you can actually try to have blackout times. So there's literally times when the fan, you're playing a family board game or you're having dinner um, or you're going for a walk or you're watching a TV show together. So you're, you know, you're doing something, but you're at least snuggling and cuddling and, you know, you're together, you're still getting serotonin and uh, oxytocin and opiates and like all those beautiful natural hormones that actually feed the brain that are good for the brain that ground you in reality and make reality more fun and more interesting. So I, I suggest, you know, when it's dinner time, have everyone put their phones in a basket and turn them like silence them and put them in a basket. And then they can pick them up after dinner. So they're in silence them. So they're not beeping and all of, all of you have to do it. And okay. If there's a work thing, you could make a special contract, I guess, but if it's really not an important work thing, model this for your kids model that the phone is something that doesn't have to be attached to you every 30 seconds. If you're watching a show together, right. Even if you're just watching a show by yourself or with your spouse, don't be looking at your phone every 15 seconds, put the phone away, leave it in another room and watch your show. Try to exercise and create moments where you're not reaching for your phone every 15 seconds because you're continuously training your brain. You're building more neural pathways to reach for that thing 
constantly throughout the day. So try the uh, the blackouts and try to have your phones away from you. If you're going out for dinner, everyone has to put their phones, either leave their phones in the car and one person has, in a, phone, has a phone for an emergency and then go have dinner and enjoy and don't have everyone staring at their phones. Make sure that there's a family charging station. Everybody leaves their phones and charges them in one particular part of the house. And for your teenagers, especially your younger teenagers, for your older teenagers, you know, either grade 11 or grade 12, this is maybe not something you want to super enforce because they have to learn how to manage this when they're away or they're on their own. But try to have family charging stations. Phones are on the charging pads an hour before uh, lights out bedtime and see if you can create a real habit. You're going to get pretty big blowouts, right? You're going to get massive pushback and blowback from this. And in the beginning, it's really hard and you have to be neutral and you have to say, I love you enough to do this for you. And I love you enough to do this for your brain. Try to make the times where they are with you really fun. Let their brain feel the exquisite feeling of connection and giggling and laughing and you know, play board games or put music on and just do those elaborate coloring things. Those can be really fun. Uh, go for walks, watch, watch a show, do whatever you can to create these moments where your, your child's brain and your brain are getting the happiness chemicals, right? The here and now chemicals. Um, you're going to definitely get some, some pushback on this, but try your best to, to have these moments. Um, you can then, when your kids, when you're older, when your kids get older, and they need to start having um, the opportunity to practice having their devices on their own. You can give it to them for a little while. And if their mood changes, so say, you know, they'll try it for two weeks or something. And if overall their mood changes, they're cranky again, they're not getting to their homework, they're, you know, they're complaining more about social relationships. If you know that it's just had that negative impact on them, then you, you know, crack down again, have more, uh, limits on more blackout times for their phone earlier time that they have to give it back and then try again in three months and just tell them it's not a big deal we'll we'll get there we'll work on this together it's okay that you're mad at me i get it i'd be mad too if i was 15 but we'll we'll go back to what we were doing before and in three months we'll try it again like let them know that it's something they can keep working towards um it's really worth doing it's worth making this effort uh, you know it really is important for their brains and we really don't know the impact that this is actually having to, you know, it, we, there's not any huge long-term studies yet, although they will be coming in soon. This has been, this has been the way things are since I think it's about 2011, 2011 was the tipping point where I think it was about 50% of kids got their own smartphones. And since then the data around uh, depression, anxiety, mood disorders, um, emotional regulation, uh, even suicide has has corresponded with uh, with that 2011 uh, pivotal moment where half the population got smartphones, and most most kids ha have them. All kids pretty much have them uh, in many many places. In many many cases, after sort of grade eight, um, I would wait as long as possible to get your kids a smartphone or tablet. Uh, while they're young, you really want to be watching this so that you're not establishing those long term patterns in the brain. Be consistent, be neutral, be strong for your kids and for yourself. Kids intuitively know when limits are good for them and when they're coming from a place of love, not fear. They intuitively want you to be able to stick to what you're doing. Um, and they know deep down when something is actually really right for them. 
So trust in that, trust in them. And honestly, especially with teenagers, sometimes they really want you to do this. They just don't know how to ask. They don't know how to tell you. They know that they're freaking out by phones. They all talk about it. When I, when I work with my teens one-on-one in my practice, they know, they know. And sometimes you just have to do it. I think this is a really important conversation and it's not going to be easy. And to really kind of look at, you know, I say this all the time in my podcast, but we're not parents, we're substitute frontal lobes. We have to be better frontal lobes to ourselves around social media. And we have to be better frontal lobes for our kids. So thank you so much for listening to today's episode. Um, I really appreciate that you're out there. Please go to connectedparenting.com for more information on all of our services to help you on your parenting journey. We've got my books. We have online parenting courses. We've got uh, The Village. Um, Keep listening to the podcast. Make sure every once in a while to go back and re-listen because it's, you know, sometimes you have to hear the message, you know, several different times, but I love that you're out there and I will see you next time on the next episode of Connected Parenting.